You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I read the illustration about a man who had been a sheriff And throughout his entire life, he always made the statement, I'm not scared to die, I'm ready to die. Over and over again, that is what he was known for. He said, I am not scared to die, I'm prepared for death, I'm ready to die. The time came for that man to die. He was on his deathbed. A friend of that sheriff raced to a preacher and said, Preacher, I want you to go and pray with my friend. He's about to die. And the preacher said, it would do him no good. All through life, he says, I'm not scared to die. I'm prepared to die. I'm ready to die. The man said, yes, but would you please just go and pray with him and speak with him and try to uh, talk to him about eternity. And the preacher went. And of course, the sheriff, even there on his deathbed, still boasting, said, I'm ready to die. I'm not scared to die. And the preacher said, yes, I understand you're not scared to die and you are prepared to die. But have you thought about this? Are you prepared for the judgment that comes after you die? Skepticism might be all right in life, but skepticism won't work when it comes time to die. Opinion might help you make it through day by day, but opinion will not work when it comes time to die. Rationale and human reasoning and even a refusal to acknowledge truth might get you by day to day. But can I say that won't cut the mustard when it comes time to die? You say, but I'm not worried about death, but I want you to think for a minute, have you thought about the judgment that comes after death? Today, God has gone to great lengths to try to keep you and I out of hell. Hell was not made for you. It's not for you. The Bible says hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. All to keep you out of hell today, God sent his son Jesus into this world. Jesus robed his deity in humanity just to keep you out of hell. Jesus, the lawgiver, put himself in subjection to the law just to keep you out of hell. Jesus lived among sinners, yet he never sinned himself just so that he could keep you out of hell. Jesus went to a cross. He was bludgeoned and beaten and scourged and his body was torn to pieces and then nailed to that wood and his blood was shed just so you wouldn't have to go to hell. The crown of thorns was placed upon his brow and those thorns three inches long would be driven into his brow and the blood ran down his face. They spit upon him and took the beard from his cheeks just to keep you and I out of hell. Jesus on that cross could not be killed, but he loved you and I so much that he offered his life. He gave his life for you and I. Why did he do that? Just to keep you out of hell. Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb, but... He didn't stay buried. He rose again from the dead. All of that just to keep you out of hell. God then gave us a Bible. Inside this Bible, there's over 1,900 pleas from God to those who are not saved, begging for you and I to give our heart and our soul to Him, all just to keep you and I out of hell. Today we live in an hour where information is literally at our fingertips. Things you used to have to learn in a classroom or go to college to understand, now you can learn these things from your couch. I mean, you can study the annals of history from a tablet. We can search the expanse of space from a smartphone. 
I mean, we can study things that used to be beyond our reach simply by typing in a, a search bar and putting in the right search on some kind of a network on the computer. We don't lack for information today. But let me also say this, we don't lack for truth today. We live in a day, in a generation where truth is more available than it's ever been. We have churches like this every Sunday in America preaching the Bible. You can turn on the radio station like the one we have here and you can hear the Bible presented and preached every single day. You can still sometimes turn on your television and you can get enough Bible truth from the television to be saved. You can go to a dollar store in many places in America and you can buy an entire King James Bible for a dollar in our nation. We live in an hour where we don't lack for information and we live in an hour where we do not lack for truth. And I say that to say this, the average person who would attend a church like ours and the average person who'd walk our streets and the average individual that'd sit in a pew in a service like this one today has already heard, you're already acquainted with what the Bible has to say about this awful place, this real place called hell. For example, you already know this, hell has literal fire. We know that the fire in hell burns eternally and is never quenched. The average American, at least, has heard that hell is a place of pain and a place of suffering. We've heard and read that hell is a place of wailing and gnashing of teeth and those who are there agonize incessantly in those flames that are never quenched. The average person who would fill our service today has already heard hell is a bottomless pit. In hell you fall forever and yet you never hit bottom. We've heard that hell has smoke that ascends forever and ever. And we can almost hear the noise of the chains that bind the wrists and bind the ankles of those cast into that place. The average American is no stranger to the truth that hell is called outer darkness. There's no light in hell, no hint of illumination. Imagine a night with no stars shining, no moon to brighten it, and where no sun ever breaks through. That's what hell is. Hell's a place of woe. Hell's a place of wickedness, a place without love, joy, and peace. A preacher named Sam Jones said the legitimate end of a sinful life is hell. The average person who'd attend a church service like this and walks our streets, I would say, knows hell's a place of punishment. We understand that as sweet as heaven's going to be, that's how bitter and then some hell will be. It's no secret that hell's a place of punishment. We know there's no laughter there. There is no joy there. There is no camaraderie that comes from family or friends or acquaintances there. There's no decency there. Only wickedness and unadulterated hate. But can I say, that's nothing new to us. We already know these truths. At some level or another, we all understand hell's an eternal place. I want you to hear me this morning. Hell is not an allegory. Hell is not fictitious. Hell is not symbolic. It's a place. Hell's as real as Santa Clara, California. Hell's as real as the streets you live on. Hell's as real as the pew that you now occupy. Hell's as real as the person you're sitting next to. And while you and I sit in this atmosphere with these amenities, the air conditioning and the comfort, there's a literal real place called hell that burns beneath us. Hell is not a bad word. Hell's a bad place. Hell's a place without pleasure. It's a place without love. It's a place without grace and a place without hope, all because hell's a place without God. There are no songs sung there. There are no prayers ever answered there. There is no chance for reprieve or relief there. 
There's no joy to be found there. Once a soul crosses that threshold of that place, can I say, the sentence is the same for every individual. It doesn't matter who they were. It doesn't matter what they did. The sentence is the same, and that sentence is always forever. But we know that this morning. Can I say this? Hell's no respecter of persons. Hell's not just for bad people. Hell's for those who die without Christ. There's an old poem that makes the statement that murderers and gamblers and drunkards and liars will all have their part in the lake of fire, but that's not the only crowd that you'll find there. There'll be folks who lived a moral life and a religious life alike in that place. From every walk of life, from every ethnic background, from every nation on the face of this planet, there are those right now, as you and I sit in padded pews, begging for a single drop of water to fall from a fingertip and cool their tongues. Right now, they're in hell beneath us. Maybe they were raised in religion, but they're burning in hell. Maybe they'd sat through a service like this, and yet they're burning in hell. Maybe they attended a Sunday school class and were even baptized, yet never truly converted, and now they suffer in that place and in hell. I believe there's probably some who were called preacher, but now they burn in hell. Probably some that wore the title of Sunday school teacher but now they're burning in hell. There might have been some that taught a, a, a bus route, worked on that route, sang in the choir. Uh, maybe some, you'd look at their life on the outside and say, that person, if anybody's a Christian, they're a Christian, but all they had was a profession and not the possession, and they died without Christ. Nobody plans to go there. Yet how many do you think are there today? We're no strangers to hell. We're not unaware of its existence We've heard the sermons. We know the text. You know as much about it as I do as a preacher. But here's my heart this morning, and here's my concern. My concern is with that truth ever before us and with access to the truth here in the Word of God and with the preacher to stand and warn us of the judgment to come. There are still some that would sit in a service like this, and they've heard about the fire, and they've heard about the certainty, and they've heard about the length of that place of damnation and perdition. And yet with all of that before them, they'll make the unconscious decision to deny grace, push aside the gospel, say no to the plea of God, and they'll end up like this man in Luke chapter 16 and one day find themselves in hell. In Luke chapter 16, this is a literal account of an actual man who had everything going for him in life, and yet one day he opened his eyes in eternal fiery darkness. Can I say you'll never find a more tragic account in your Bible than what we read in Luke chapter number 16. I almost feel as though as I read this text that I can smell the smoke as it burns and hear the crackling of the fire and hear the screams of those that make their abode there. And that's where this man is. This man was blessed on earth, benefited on earth, had everything going for him, but he did not prepare for what happens after death. Now, lest you think that I'm being mean this morning, can I say Jesus is the one who gave us this text. Jesus is the one speaking about this man. And Jesus does not mince words or sugarcoat the reality, but Jesus makes the statement almost as though it was illuminated in bold font. It jumps off the pages of the Bible, and Jesus declares, this man is in hell. Now, notice he died, but did not cease to exist. He died, but he was not decomposing in the ground. He died, but he was not reincarnated to once again walk the earth. He died, but he was not annihilated. You see, you and I don't die like a dog. 
We don't die like a tree cut down. We don't die like a flower plucked from the field. When a dog dies, it's dead. And when a tree is cut down, it's dead. And when a flower is plucked from a field, it is dead. But when you and I die, that's just the beginning because we have a soul that will live somewhere for all eternity. D.O. Moody, a preacher from the past, said as you read this text, you hear a voice coming out of the lost world, a man who fared sumptuously every day, yet was lost, not for time, but for eternity. Can I say that's a tragic account, is it not? Could you imagine his family if they discovered that it was their loved one in this text and in hell, that didn't have to be his story. And in hell, that did not have to be his legacy. And in hell, that didn't have to be his testimony. And in hell, that did not have to be his eternal existence. It could have been avoided. He could have missed out on it. If only he would have made provision, not just for death, but for what happens after death comes and in hell could have been avoided. You study your Bible, you find hell's a place where the wrath of God ever abides. It's a place that burns and the burning never quits. It's a place of crying, darkness, everlasting fire. It's a hopeless place. It's a place where memories will haunt. There is no love. It's oppression upon oppression, retribution for sin, shame, a thirst that's never quenched, a place of ungodliness and a place of zero peace. Now, you'd have to be cruel beyond belief today to read that and not be moved hearing about the state of this man. You'd have to have a heart that was cold and frozen to not let that stir your soul this morning as we read this tragic account of a man that while we sit here and sit through this service is still, still living out the reality of verse 23. Can I say, as I read the text here, I'd like to jump in my Bible somewhere prior to verse number 23. I'd like to go to that man's house and walk through that exquisite place. I'd like to go to him as he sits at his table filled with food and enjoys the finest drink that money can buy. And he's wrapped in his purple and his fine linen. And I'd like to shake him and grab him by the shoulders and say, Sir, don't let it pass you by. Sir, wait a minute. Sir, wake up. I know you're enjoying life, but what about eternity? Oh, Listen, chapter 16, verse 23 is coming. Death is coming. Hell is moving. It can be avoided, but it's too late. I wrote down on my outline as I was praying and studying last night, too late. Too late. Too late. So this morning, listen to me in the balcony and below. He's not my target audience. You are. Because while it's too late for that man, my fear is there might be some who are trotting the same path and you're sitting in this place and you've heard the gospel and you know that Jesus saves you might even have a form of religion and you come to church on Easter and Christmas or maybe you've never been here before whatsoever but your fate will be the same as this man if something does not happen in your life and in hell I wonder today who's still swinging in the balance between salvation and damnation I wonder who's still on the wrong side of the fence of forgiveness I wonder who it is that says well I believe the gospel but they've never reached out by faith and made it their own. I wondered who it is that if we could see them with the spiritual eye, that dark cloud of condemnation even now hovers above their head and nothing but the mercy of God keeps them here even a minute longer. It could be you. It might be
be somebody next to you. I don't know, but I know this. I don't want anybody to die and go to hell. I don't have an enemy so bad that I want them to go to hell. There's not a person on this earth that I want to see in hell. It wasn't made for you. It's not for you. Oh, today, you might be a father. I don't want your children to say, and in hell. Oh, I don't want it to be a mother whose children have to face the reality, and in hell. I don't want it to be a parent-child who has to face it, and in hell. If that's you this morning, hey, don't put it off. This doesn't have to be, and in hell can be avoided. You say, I don't believe it, Brother Cooper. It doesn't matter what you believe. It matters what God has said. The skeptics have come and gone, and the Bible stands. Their critics have come and gone, and the Bible remains. Those with their own opinion have come and gone, and yet the Bible stands like a rock undaunted. They say, surely God is too loving to cast men into hell. And I'll say this, God is loving, but don't forget he's just. And God loves Jesus too much to have him die and then allow someone into heaven outside of accepting that sacrifice upon the cross. Billy Sunday said, you won't be in hell five seconds before you believe that there is one. We can't choose and pick our way through the Bible. You can't have a heaven with streets of gold without a hell that burns. You can't have a resurrection without hell that burns. You can't have a John 3, 16 without also having a hell that burns. You cannot have grace and mercy, love and long-suffering with also, without also having a hell that burns. And I'll say it this morning, as sure as the sun is hot, and as sure as water is wet, and as sure as Christ lives, and as the right hand of the Father, hell is burning beneath us today. Isaiah said, hell from beneath is moved for thee to greet thee at thy coming. The psalmist said, the wicked shall be turned into hell. John said, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. Hell is not a feeling, it's a place. Hell is not a state of being, it's a place. Hell is not annihilation or the grave, hell is a place. And I know our modern theology and our humanistic rationale would try to cool the temperature of hell, but can I say it still burns today. I was preaching in the state of Georgia several years ago and a fireman was in the meeting and he talked to me after the service and said, Brother Cooper, maybe you can use this in your preaching. He said, we go to a lot of house fires and oftentimes we get there and there's been a fatality in that fire. And he said, we'll find oftentimes in that house, the person physically was able, he said, usually we find the corpse, we find the body laid out stretching its way toward the door where it was obvious that person was trying their best to get out of that fire. He told me that and it stirred my soul to think that somebody in a physical house fire that cannot even compare to the fire that waits for a lost person in hell would go to such lengths to try to preserve their physical life. And yet folks would sit in a service like this and say, yes, but what would people think? Well, that's not for me or maybe some other time, or I don't know if I believe that or not. All the while the fire burns and they make no attempt to escape it. I remember where I was on September 11th, 2001. We just had that remembrance just a few weeks ago, but you probably remember where you were. But I was watching documentaries last year uh, on September 11th, and they have new footage that's out now. And you remember back then, we didn't all have videos with our phones and things. But if you were going to video something, you had to use one of these camcorders and take videos, like home videos. And I was watching these documentaries, and there's an entire documentary on a certain channel, and it was all made up of people's personal home videos. And I remember sitting there where I was in a library watching as that first plane had hit. And at that time, we just thought it was an accident. You remember that? 
And then we watched a little while longer, and the second plane hit, and for the first time in my young life at that time, I heard about the word Al-Qaeda or terrorism. I was blessed to grow up in America. We didn't really worry about that. And then I heard that, and they, they, they closed down everything in our town. But I watched that video. And they had people who were there at the base of those towers, not very far away, videoing. And these people didn't know what was going on, and you could hear the commentary. They thought it was a mistake, an accident as well. And then the second plane hit, and people began to scream and panic. But they kept that camcorder on those buildings, and after some time, you could see objects flying out of those buildings. And some of those videos, the people were so close that you could hear those objects hit the ground, land on cars. And then all of a sudden, the girl videoing screamed as she realized those weren't chairs or desks, but those were people who had taken themselves and made the conscious decision to throw themselves out of these buildings hundreds of feet above the ground, knowing they would die. You say, what would compel someone to do that? The fire on the inside was enough to drive them to cast themselves out. Can I say, as sad and horrific as that was, that has nothing to do, it can't even touch the hem of the garment of what hell will be. And yet we understand that and we've heard that and we know that and folks will sit through a service like this and say, maybe another day. And in hell. Let me give you three statements. One, this man was a blessed man. He was rich. You know what the saddest thing in life is? To be blessed and not realize who the blesser is. Can I say every breath you breathe came from one source. Every bit of food on your tables come from one source. The fact that you're in a service like this today, that came from one source. Every time a man mocks God, God gave him the breath to mock. Hello. Every time somebody lives for themselves, there's a God in heaven who has them on his mind. And can I say every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above. And it'd be a horrible thing to live with a nice car in the driveway, a big house to live in, money in the bank, and yet die lost for all eternity while the goodness of God was trying to lead thee to repentance like the book of Romans said. Number two, not only this man was blessed, but he had a beggar in his life. The Bible said that at his gate every day there was a man named Lazarus. But if you look at the Bible, the language of the Bible said he was laid at his gate. You know what that means? Lazarus didn't get there on his own. He was put there on purpose. Lazarus is a daily stinging reminder to that rich man, there's a God in heaven. You see, how do you know that? Well, Lazarus ends up there. He's in Abraham's bosom. I see this man's house. I mean, I can see the marble columns, the great furniture, all the fixtures, the landscaping, the fine food, the, the, the best drink, the clothing on his back, and then there's a man out front, sores on his body. The dogs have to lick his sores. And I can see as that rich man every day walks past Lazarus and says, man, that guy doesn't have a thing. He doesn't have a house. He doesn't have any friends. He doesn't have any food. And maybe sometimes Lazarus would say, you know what, I don't have a home down here, but wait till you see the home that's waiting for me. <laughs> Maybe he would say, you know, I don't have much fellowship down here, just the dogs, but let me tell you about a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Yes, I understand my body's ravaged by these sores, but one of these days I'm going to get a new body. And maybe every day that man was there, God put him there to remind this fellow, hey, eternity is coming. Can I say God's been good to you today? Because you're not here by accident. You're here on purpose. You say, well, I chose to come here. Yeah, you might have, but can I say God sent somebody by your door? God sent somebody with an invitation. God brought you here today for a reason. 
You say, nobody cares for me. That's not true. You might go to hell unsaved, but nobody here will go to hell uncared for. Today, you've got a preacher. You've got people. Spiritual beggars put in your pathway. I was preaching in Asheville, North Carolina a long time ago, and I was in church on a, uh, I think it was a Tuesday night, and a man came into that service, and he wasn't a church member. He just happened into that service. And uh, he said, can I testify for a minute? And the preacher said, you can say something if you'd like. And that man said, I don't know. He said, I don't know uh, 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 anybody here, but I want to tell this story. He said, I just got saved in my apartment a few days ago. He said, I was sitting on the bed in my apartment with the window open. He said, I had a gun to my head, cocked back, ready to shoot myself. The man said, he said, he lost his job, lost his wife, all these things. And I was sitting in the service, he said, I was going to kill myself. He said, I had that gun and brought it up to my head. And he said, all of a sudden, he said, I heard from out of nowhere, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he said, I thought that was strange. He said, I sat there with that gun. It was shaking in my hand and I brought it again up to my head. And again, I heard the same thing. For God so loved the world. John 3, 16. He said, I heard it three times. He said, on that third time, he said, I put that gun down. He's giving this testimony in church. He said, I put that gun down. He said, and I accepted Christ as my Savior. He said, I just thought I'd come to a church and tell him what I did. There was a man on the front row, a big burly man with a white bushy beard, and he was weeping. And that man stood up and said, what street do you live on? And that man responded, and he started crying. He said, I go down there every week and preach on the street. He said, nobody ever takes my tracks. Nobody ever gets saved. He said, was that Saturday that you... He said, yes, sir, it's Saturday. That man said, that was me crying out John 3, 16. Can I say that is God being good and putting a beggar in the pathway of that man. And you're here today and you think nobody cares for you. Can I say there's people here that care about you, but more important, there's a God in heaven who cared enough to let you hear the gospel that you might be saved. Lastly, this man went to hell in spite of knowing his Bible. He cries out when he gets to hell, Father Abraham. That means he knew who Abraham was. He even knew about his relation to the nation of Israel. Maybe he'd been to a temple. Maybe he'd read some of the Old Testament. All I know is he had some knowledge, but he wasn't prepared for eternity. Can I say, faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. With the book of Hebrews talks about a crowd where the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith. It's not enough to know that God created. And it's not enough to, to know that Jesus came and lived and died. It's not enough to know that Noah built an ark. It's not enough to know that Daniel was in the den of lions and David killed Goliath. There has to be a day where by faith you accept these things and you believe that Jesus died for you. I've been in meetings and seen preachers get saved. I was preaching a youth meeting in a place, I won't say just in case they watch this, but I was preaching... And the youth pastor was in the sound booth and ran from the sound booth to the altar, been leading that youth group for years. And he said, I've been telling these kids they can know that they're saved. He said, I don't even know that I'm saved. And it was a good church, and he got saved in the meeting. I was holding my first revival meeting, and my wife was raised in a good Christian home. Daddy, her dad's a preacher, and things always raised good, right? And and I I got saved because of her, honestly. And I was preaching, and I was at the altar leading a young man to Christ, and behind me I heard a woman begin to shout, I mean just out loud shouting and weeping. And I turned around, and a preacher's wife was hugging my wife, and my wife was weeping, and I looked at her and said, Desiree, what's wrong? She said, I just got saved. I 
said, what do you mean you just got saved? I said, I'm saved because you're saved. She said, I'm not saved. She said, when I was six years old, I got baptized just because I wanted to make mom and dad happy. She said, but I didn't know what I was doing. I just did it to do it. She said, all these years I've known that I wasn't saved. John Wesley got saved after he'd been preaching. George Whitfield got saved after he'd read a book on the new birth. And can I say, it's not enough to just know how to quote John 3, 16. You better know that you're saved. You only have to get saved once, I always tell people. But you do have to get saved once. I'll close with this. A man was trying to illustrate to a group how he was saved. And the man had a, two worms in his hand, and he dropped those worms on the ground, and he took some leaves that were nearby, and he made a circle around the two worms. He lit those leaves on fire, and the fire burned on every side, and those worms began to squirm and crawl, trying to stay away from that heat. That man reached down his hand into the ring of fire there. One of the worms climbed into his hand and he lifted it out. The other worm moved from his hand and was consumed in that fire. He said, that's how I got saved. He said, God reached down to me and by faith I took God and he saved me. Now today we cannot see it, but it's just as real as my hand reaching out to you now. The hand of God is stretched in your direction now. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And you're here today, and you don't know for sure you're ready to meet God. Please don't let and in hell be your forever. Would you take God by the hand today and say, I'll trust him. I don't care if you're a mother, a father, a grandparent, a child, a teenager. If you're not saved, today is your day. That's why you're here and in hell. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.